0: Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to the Performance Intelligence Podcast, bite Size edition. This is where we take a clip from a previous podcast and amplify it for you in a snack-sized format. Before we start this episode, I wanted to take a quick moment to ask a favor of you please open the podcast app you're listening on right now and hit the follow button. This really supports us growing the podcast and also helps continue to produce high quality conversations around high performance. You listen to us and we want to listen to you. So please also consider leaving a rating and review. Tell us what you love about this episode and what you'd like to hear more of. Give us some feedback as it really does make a difference to what we're doing behind the scenes. Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological, and emotional state. Buckle up for this one, everybody. In this bite-sized episode, Dr. Gemma King tells us about the time she was living in Russia in her early 20s. And she has some crazy stories to tell. Correction, they are out of this world. From being a stunt double in a Police Academy movie, to watching the Russian White House get shelled in the 1993 Russian constitutional crisis, through to a botched kidnapped attempt with a taxi driver you've got to listen to this one to believe it Gemma explains how she thinks she built resilience from her upbringing she has two very different types of parents and their different styles combined to give her a broad outlook on life And if you'd like to listen to the full episode, go to Performance Intelligence, episode number 101. So let's go the backstory. Do you want to start with stunt double? Like when we looked at (laughs) researching you, there was no way I thought Gemma King, stunt double would be in the same sentence.
1: Well, it was like when I think about my life journey, it's like literally full of serendipity and sort of blind like and maybe just stumbling into these bizarre environments and so my career as a stunt double i think it literally lasted four days (laughs) and it was very unplanned i was in moscow but the the way i got there was um i think growing up my parents were very much uh go out and experience life and the more unusual and the more sort of dangerous the activity i was doing the more positive reinforcement i got from my parents especially you know from my dad so he was what I describe as a high octane bipolar alcoholic.
0: <laughs> he was. I'm just trying uh, to process that a high octane <laughs> bipolar alcoholic. Wow, it's fascinating. But, um,
1: to- quite a success, still alive. I'm quite a successful hotelier. And so, you know, I honestly think he just encouraged risk taking so he could, you know, tell his drinking buddies, guess what my daughter's doing? <laughs> so, how I got to Moscow to be a stunt double, I was, I'd finished school. And I was like, I, you know, I was studying um, science at university and I was like, I really want to just want to go overseas by myself. And so I said to my parents, um, I'm going overseas. They said, no, stay and finish your degree. And I said, no, I'm buying my own ticket. So I was going to Italy. And so I bought the, the cheapest ticket I could find. So at that time it was an AeroFloat ticket. And so I got on this plane and, you know, the seat was loose Pretty much everyone who worked on the plane was drunk, everyone smoking cigarettes, and it was just like a terrifying experience. And so I had a girlfriend from school whose parents were in the Australian embassy over in Moscow. And so she said, oh, come and stay with me. And I ended up actually staying there for nearly two years. And back then, you know, Moscow was really, it was pretty dreary and miserable for like an Aussie chick. And and no one really spoke English, and I didn't speak Russian at all. Um, Did you I'm learn like,
0: Russian in the two years?
1: I had to because if I didn't, um, I would have probably starved and and it would never have gotten around. So I, you know, I learned it because I got a job working for a Russian Irish joint venture, and they were sort of tasked at bringing you know, Western society to Moscow. And so I consulted to this company that involved um, setting up a Chinese restaurant. Um, they were setting up clothes stores and supermarkets. And then I got the job as manager of this nightclub. <laughs> and so while I was there, like I'd, I'd literally only been there a couple of weeks and then the Black Act, I think it was called Black October Coup happened. And this is when the city went into like, uh, you know, absolute chaos because it was the last communist uprising. And so being in Aussie, I was over there going, this is crazy. So people were running around shooting in the streets. And I don't know if anyone was old enough to remember, this is when Yeltsin stood up on the tank and he shot at the White House. And so the compound that we were staying in, the embassy compound was literally like metres away. So I'm hanging out the window watching Yeltsin just blow the, this, um this, the white house and i was like wow this is you know like really dumb i was thinking, this is like nothing there was bullets just whizzing around people you could hear mortars and gunshots and there was quite a lot of people killed and i remember my i was there with my girlfriend and, and there was another girl from school was visiting as well and they said look we better call our parents um because they're probably very worried about about you know our safety and so my girlfriend she rings up her mum and dad, and they are like hysterical, saying, get out of there, get on the first plane, you're going to die. You know, she's crying, they're crying, you know, out of hysteria. And, of course, you couldn't get out of there. There was a state of emergency. Everything was locked down. And then so I ring up my parents and I said, mum, guess what? You know, there's a war. I can see Yeltsin, and you could hear, you know, the waters. And then there was this sort of silence. And then my mum said, oh my God, you are so lucky. You're witnessing history. Oh, just savour every moment, darling. Like, and I was thinking, wow. (laughs) You know, such a diametrically opposed response to my girlfriend. And I think that kind of set me up for uh, seeing stress, I suppose, in a different way. And, you know, I became very fascinated with, with stress and living in Moscow was very, very stressful. Um, it was full of mafia it was like you know it was utter of chaos at the time there was you know the whole collapse of, of society of the police force and military so it was very dangerous but one thing um that you know happened I was at the Irish pub and met these producers of police Academy seven and they were like oh we need someone who's you know knows how to act in front of a camera can you do you and I'm like yeah sure of course had no idea <laughs> and I said we're looking for a stunt double for Callahan that's the one of the big boobs and the blonde hair i'm like yeah i can do that and so i honestly i was nearly killed i had to fight the mafia pull out some kung fu moves i got dragged into this little car and then we went careering towards the moscow river right and then off we had to keep doing that and of course the brakes were failing no seat belts no safety and i think i got the equivalent equivalent of like Eight US dollars.
0: (laughs) So, didn't inspire you to go from four days to four years to go and be a global stunt double, be jumping out of planes next to Tom Cruise.
1: No, it was it was um, thankless, you know, low paid and um, and not a very fun job, honestly.
0: Are you planning an upcoming conference or company offsite? For the past 15 years, I've averaged speaking at over 50 events each year, and I still love presenting at conferences as much as I did when I first started. To explore the different presentations I offer on a range of topics and themes including physical and psychological well-being, becoming burnout proof, connection and belonging, that's a new area I'm, I'm really enjoying presenting on neuroscience and behavior change, mental skills, and leadership and culture, or if you'd like to understand our fully integrated conference experience with pre-event diagnostics, activities throughout the agenda, including a morning wake-up, energy breaks, team-building activities, and digital resources to embed learning. To find out more information and to download a brochure, go to andrewmay.com keynotes. I didn't see Police Academy 7. I think I tapped out at 4 or 5. So it was Michael ah. Winslow still in 7 doing all yes. of his great noises?
1: I didn't even watch it. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: there you go. <laughs> so, poor old Callahan. Now, I just want to go back to what you said at the start was fascinating about your father. So I'm trying to look at that family of origin. It's fascinating. You know this when you do a podcast or a chat, you, yes. you know someone. So I, I know you're street Gemma, presenting and what I see on the internet. But yeah, that's fascinating. So if you've got a mum who is, darling, that's wonderful. While most mums would be stressing out, get the hell out of here. Wonderful opportunity for you to learn, embrace, and grow. And you know, under pressure, we get our biggest growth. But you've got your dad who is a high-performing alcoholic. So let's go with your dad first. What what did that teach you, or what frameworks did that give you?
1: He really was everything you probably, <laughs> to be honest wouldn't want to be you know he was very much about being suspicious um low trust see what you can get where my mother on the other hand was so generous and gracious and and uh, a, a person of absolute service and would you know do anything for you to the honestly often to our own detriment and so I had this very interesting dipole of where I had this glorious you know upstanding amazing woman that you probably could never be as good as her and on the other side a pretty dark individual who was actually very successful and you know probably 10 times what my mother did but I imagine you know when it comes to their funerals we'll know who's going to be packed to the rafters and who's won't and I still talk to my father He he doesn't listen to this podcast obviously but I think learning um that there are people in the world that think very differently from you and will try and get what they can get and that they are avaricious and that don't have a generosity of spirit. And I think that did really set me up well for business. (laughs) He also treated me like a tomboy, so I wasn't some little, you know, precious girl who wasn't allowed to, you know, get dirty or, you know, I was expected to do, we had a farm, do boys' work, dig holes, drive tractors, you know shoot a gun you know there was no you know, compensation for being a female so i think that was also very helpful uh and and i really understood you know male psychology because of that um which i think held me in good stead later i certainly know how to swear like a siberian salt miner i'm not offended by <laughs> bad language in fact i've got the worst <laughs> gutter mouth on me myself so i think when you're dealing in um sort of male dominated environments I, th- I really think my childhood was you know advantageous in that regard
0: it's fascinating and when you look at family of origin a lot of researchers say we can approach or avoid so you could approach the behavior like your father or you could approach your mother or you could mm-hmm. avoid either so it's so obviously subconsciously you took some strengths from both and that's really the start of the pathway to where you got to you never know that as a kid right
1: no, you don't. Like it, it, it really instilled a, a huge um, injection of toughness, I think, resilience, so emotional resilience. You know, I'd, I'd been told, you know, negative things growing up from one side by positive on the other side. So I had I had built a very strong core of, I suppose, self-esteem from my mother and undying, unconditional love where my dad would knock me down. So there was like, you know, be humble, be don't be a show-off, um, have humility, otherwise, you know, you'd cop it. So I think that was a really interesting combination. And yeah, I, I'm very grateful for it, actually.
0: So you stopped pretending you were Callahan driving dodgy cars around Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Yeltsin stopped shooting at the White House. What happened after that? What was the next, uh, next steps in your journey to high performance?
1: I, it, got, it got very dangerous in Moscow. I Had quite a few incidences where I think my life was very much um, at stake. I was threatened, kidnapped. You had to move apartments nine times. So I, I thought this is it. So then I ended up moving. Oh, whoa, whoa,
0: whoa. Paul, Paul, Paul. <laughs> I was I was kidnapped, and you just go to the next thing. Are we? I like, obviously you're smiling as you say it. So, have yeah, you got permission was- to, to to talk about that, or can you tell us a little bit about that experience?
1: I was in Moscow when I was there. There were weren't really taxis. You sort of just stood out into the street, and you know pulled someone over and then gave them some rubles. And I didn't realise that at that time, you know, when there wasn't a lot of um, currency around, females would sit in the front seat if they had to get into work or get into wherever they were going. And, of course, that, you know, what that meant if you sat in the front seat, that was this is how I'm going to be paying with my body. I had no idea. So I sat in the front seat and then this driver just automatically thought, okay, this is, this is it. And so started driving off towards... Somewhere, And then started to, you know, touch me and put his hand up my skirt. And as we were drawing, I'm just looking at him. And I, of course, as you do when you move to a country, you learn all the swear words first. So I would just let it go. And then he just so, sort of looked at me with that, you know, absolute like disdain, you, you know, you foreign girl, who do you think you are in my country? So he just... Drove speed, um, speeding really fast towards the um, forests, and then it ended up in quite a physical altercation. Where I said, "No, this is not happening to me today. Not, no, I'm not, I'm not letting this man change the trajectory of my life." So I just fought with every ounce of my strength, and um, you know, cracked him in the throat, and then got out of the car. You know, he pulled my hair back, and I, I don't know. So it was all just very quick. I just managed to escape rolled out into the snow. It was kind of knee-deep snow. I was completely unprepared, didn't have, like, big boots or a coat. And so, I yeah, I just wandered around in the snow trying to find some help and no one would really help me. Finally, I found my way back to somewhere and, and then got back to my place of work. But when I got there and I told, you know, the managers, the other managers and the and the, the staff, they're like, normal, no. It's normal. Like, stop whinging. <laughs> You know, and things like this happened all the time. Like, you know, we'd have someone come into the bar and, you know, you would offend them or wouldn't give them what they wanted and then they'd pull out a gun to your head. Like, and we had people getting shot. We had, yeah, it was really, it was really bad. And so, I, you know, now when I'm older, I look back, and I'm like, what was I thinking staying there? But I was just this blue-eyed, you know, innocent Aussie chick just thinking, wow, look at this, this is, this is like a movie.
0: Hi again, it's Andrew, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence Podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience, and I love reading the comments as well. If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or purchasing one of the books I've written, including Matchfit, Or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com. And we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence.